You're listening to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. I'm Andrew Mackey. You might be asking yourself, why is there a Good Hustle show today? Well, surprise. It's because we at Good Hustle are having a celebration. Our host, Anchor, is starting a new service today, and it's designed to increase listener support of shows like this. And they've asked me to become a launch partner, and since I love Anchor, I said yes. What that means for you is that now, if you feel so inclined, you can support Good Hustle financially. It's like Patreon, only better. You can visit the Good Hustle page on anchor.fm slash goodhustle and donate in various quantities. All the information about your gift, the support for the program, and other info gets sent to your email, and voila, you can become an inaugural supporter of this show and this service that Anchor is offering. I won't be bombarding you with information, but just know that the more support that this show gets, the more episodes and other things I can put out for you. This is my full-time job, so anything you give will help and will go to the show. Thanks to Anchor because they've made this so much easier for people to start podcasting. And a lot of that is because I want to do other shows too. And if you out there are thinking about doing a show, it's pretty simple. I just turned my attic into a little booth and that's where I record the show. I highly recommend it. Okay, so on to the fun. Because we're celebrating the launch of listener support, I'm going to break this show's mold a little bit. We're going to go into the world of sports movies. The year is 1994. During the real 1994, there was a baseball strike that cost fans the World Series and hurt the game for many years to come. But in this world, we're forgetting all of that. Rookie of the Year Henry Rowengartner had a rocket arm, and he led the Cubs on an improbable postseason run. In Anaheim, there were angels in the outfield. Literally. So during this time, we're going to join the Minnesota Twins, a struggling team owned by Thomas Haywood and managed by mustachio firebrand George O'Farrell. The team has just replaced their outgoing manager and brought in O'Farrell to try to turn things around. When we join them, things aren't going so well. I also want you all to know that I like this movie. I just want you to know in advance that I'm going to be giving it the thorough deep dive that you expect from an episode of Good Hustle. So don't think I'm critiquing the quality of the film. I'm just trying to have some fun with it. I hope you enjoy. This is episode nine of Good Hustle, the 1994 Minnesota Twins from the film Little Big League. Chapter 1. The Minnesota Twins baseball team just got a new owner. It's May, just one month into the new baseball season, and the Minnesota Twins are a last-place team. The team's owner, Thomas Hayward, is a multi-millionaire who, when asked about his riches, says he would scoff at oil tycoon Jed Clampin's fortune. Hayward is a passionate man, frustrated by the team's standing in the league. When friends of his grandson can't attend a game, he accuses them of being frontrunners. He's brought in manager George O'Farrell, who he feels is a good baseball man. O'Farrell has a hot temper. He's been accused of yelling at players and fellow coaches, including calling pitching coach Mac McNally a, quote, fat slob after a loss to Kansas City. The losing is getting to everyone in the Minnesota Twins clubhouse. Owner Haywood feels the team has talent, but they need a jolt, and he hopes O'Farrell's attitude will provide it. Thomas is a very hands-on owner. He's very much involved in the team's running and everyday life. He's larger than life, he goes anywhere he pleases in the Metrodome. 
After O'Farrell's outburst in the locker room, he even brings his 12-year-old grandson down just to hobnob with players. After a loss to the Kansas City Royals, tragedy strikes the franchise when Thomas Haywood dies unexpectedly. His son, Thomas Jr., has already passed earlier. Haywood, in his will, announces quite dramatically via video-recorded addendum that he has named his 12-year-old grandson, Billy, the new owner of the Minnesota Twins. The old man does specify that if Billy is still a minor at the time of his death, his aides are to help him until he is old enough to run the team by himself. He almost treats this as some sort of medieval regency, with general manager Arthur Gosling helping the minor in day-to-day -day operations and running the team. While attending practice the next day with Gosling, Billy oversees manager O'Farrell chewing out his players for their performance. He witnesses an outburst again, this time towards John Blackout Gatling, a pitcher who has been struggling this season. The 12-year-old goes down onto the field and corrects Gatling's pitching motion. Afterwards, he confronts O'Farrell for his behavior towards the players. You've got to admit, this kid's got some gumption. Billy Haywood quickly experiences the temper of O'Farrell firsthand. He believes that he's working the players too hard. O'Farrell despises the idea of working with a kid. O'Farrell finishes the conversation by telling Billy to butt out of the team's business. The next day, future Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson is declared a free agent right in the middle of the season for some reason by the commissioner's office. People have stated that Henderson has already reached out to the Minnesota Twins about joining the team. When Gosling and the owner ask O'Farrell for his opinion on the signing, he tells them he is against adding the player, citing trouble when he was third base coach for the New York Yankees. This is where the reports say that the 12-year-old owner, Billy Haywood, fired veteran baseball man George O'Farrell personally in O'Farrell's own office right in the clubhouse. We hear that Minnesota has reached out to Whitey Herzog, who had been a manager for 17 seasons and had just left the Cardinals in 1990. Herzog then held various positions and front office roles with the California Angels, including a brief stint as their general manager. Herzog was heavily criticized for being an absentee executive and resigned suddenly in January of 94, which is what makes him available. Herzog also feuded with the team's vice president and alienated several players with his brash, sometimes abusive style, which, now that I think about it, sounds very similar to O'Farrell's. We'd also heard that they were considering bringing in Bobby Valentine, the previous manager of the Texas Rangers, and as of the 94 season was leading the New York Mets AAA team, the Norfolk Tides, but none of these veteran managers would take the job. After the dismissal of O'Farrell, the young owner calls a press conference, and this is where things get really strange for the 94 Twins. He uses the Bob Lemon quote that baseball is made for kids and grown-ups only screw it up. Then, ignoring all kinds of child labor laws and the fact that, you know, he's 12 years old, he names himself the manager of the Minnesota Twins. You can actually hear the gasps in the crowd as he says the words. To make things even more surreal, he then says that he's going to take over effective the next day after his, quote, obligations to Theodore Jeffries Elementary School will be complete. And then, on top of all of this, there's actually a law in baseball, that says that an owner cannot become the manager of a team unless the commissioner's office gives the go-ahead. This means that the commissioner has allowed this to happen. 
Things are absolutely unbelievable right now. The last place Minnesota Twins, a team that won the 1991 World Series just three years later, are announcing that their 12-year-old owner is about to become the manager of the team. Unbelievable. Chapter 2. They've got the DH. How hard could it be? I can only imagine that the players on the Twins were pretty skeptical. I mean, it's got to be disconcerting that their new manager can't even get into an R-rated movie for another six years. But it soon leaks out of the locker room that the young manager, Billy, had promised that if he can't improve the team within the standings in a few weeks, he's going to resign. Then, if the patch on his sleeve saying TH in honor of his grandfather wasn't enough, he apparently pleaded to them to dedicate this season to his grandfather, saying if they can't do it for him, do it for Thomas. In Haywood's debut as the manager, the team is playing the Detroit Tigers, and they lose. In fact, they lose the first two games under him. But eventually, he holds a team meeting. They would beat the Chicago White Sox and then go on the road to defeat Boston at Fenway Park followed by a sweep of the New York Yankees. By July 11th, the Twins were actually heading home, tied for third place. The kid had done it. Unfortunately, not all is going smoothly for the new managers. Rumors are swirling that first baseman Lou Collins, the team's star, was dating his mother, putting him in a precarious situation and disrupting the team's chemistry. Then, like he was playing a game of MVP baseball right in the middle of the season, he outright cuts Twins legend Jerry Johnson. I mean, he was hitting under 200, but the guy was a legend with the city. And then it came out that he did it just like he did O'Farrell, in person himself. He didn't even have the personnel moves being handled by his general manager. I mean, he's acting almost as general manager, manager, and owner at this point. And he can't even drive a car. Those close to the team would report that the 12-year-old was spiraling out of control. I mean, there's a clip of Billy Haywood sleeping during a game with Boston at Fenway Park. He would eventually find himself arguing on the field with an umpire after a close play at first, where he was ejected from the game. This leads to some downright bizarre behavior at a press conference. I mean, it's up there with, you play to win the game, and playoffs? I mean, the kid goes up there, and starts speaking about himself in the third person, and uses the name Bill Haywood, like calling himself Bill now. I mean, everybody's calling him Billy, but now he's Bill. All of this would land him a one-game suspension. After his return, he would have another strange interview, only this time with ESPN's Chris Berman, saying at the end that, quote, he has a job to do, and he just walks off the set like a little brat. In some of the memoirs that would come out afterwards because of this season, sources would reveal that Haywood's mother had actually chosen to spend her own birthday with Twins' first baseman and boyfriend, Luke Collins, over her son. And this starts to make more sense because Collins goes on a bit of a slump and then he just flat out gets benched. It's almost like the kid is trying to assume power. No, I'm the boss. The hitting that Collins' bat provides is suddenly no longer in the lineup, even though they're slumping, and sends the Twins into a bit of a losing streak. And these are games that it'll turn out they will need later in the season. As the kid continues to unravel in public, there's a play in which twin center fielder Lonnie Ritter doesn't run out of play at first base. He doesn't hustle. It would later be revealed that he's playing with two broken ribs. You can see him getting into a dugout confrontation with Haywood. 
People said you could overhear Haywood telling the player he was going to be fined $500, and if he did it again, he would get suspended. He also yelled to the rest of the players that this is a business and they need to start acting like it. After being questioned by the press and a lackluster performance on the road against the White Sox, the young manager would finally relent and put Lou Collins back in the lineup. But it, the damage had been done with his decision. With four games left in the season, the Twins were trailing the Seattle Mariners by four games in the American League wildcard race. If Seattle won any of those last four games, the Twins would be eliminated. If the Twins had lost any of their last four games, they would be eliminated. And they were playing the Cleveland Indians. A few seasons ago, they were rumored to be moving to Miami and had an improbable run led by Rick Vaughn and Willie Mays Hayes. But those guys aren't on the team anymore and we're stuck with scrubs like Carlos Baerga and Sandy Alomar Jr. Heading into those last four games, I bet Hayward is really kicking himself for trying to prove a point to his mom's boyfriend, who happened to be the team's best hitter. Chapter 3. Ask Billy. With Collins back in the lineup, the Twins would end up hammering the Indians, sweeping the team during their four-game series. The Mariners would choke away the lead, ending the season with four straight losses, and forcing a one-game playoff at the Twins' Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. This would determine who's going to the postseason. In a very strange decision, the Twins would actually start the game with a little-used starter, Bill Wedman, and they go with him over anyone else in their usual rotation. The Mariners would also choose to gamble, not starting dominant left-handed pitcher Randy Johnson in a must-win game. But the gamble would pay off for both teams as the pitchers throw a scoreless duel into the sixth. In the top of the sixth inning, with two runners on, Mariners center fielder Ken Griffey Jr. hits a moonshot over the right field wall, giving Seattle a 3-0 lead. As we head to the bottom of the seventh, the Twins are losing. Haywood would gamble again with Mark Hodges at the plate. He called for a hit and run. The play would work and Lonnie Ritter would make it from first to third. Now with two runners on, the tying run came to the plate, and it was second baseman Mickey Scales, who hit a home run that would barely hug the inside of the left field foul pole. But it stayed fair, and that would tie the game 3-3. This one couldn't be settled in nine innings, so we had to go to extra innings. In the top of the 10th, Twins pitcher Jim Bowers, in his second inning of relief duty, would walk Ken Griffey Jr. to put him on first. With Griffey Jr. taking an aggressive lead, Bowers would try to pick him off. The first throw was late, and Griffey made it back in time. Immediately afterwards, though, Bauer would try again, and he appeared to throw the ball into the stands past first baseman Lou Collins. Chaos ensued on the field, and Griffey headed towards second. Only, it was a trick play. Bauer still had the ball. He throws it to second base, and Griffey's out, ending the threat. To this day, many question the play. In the era before HD television and cameras all over the field, we never actually see if Bauer stepped off the rubber and then threw the ball. Why this matters is that if Bauer steps off the rubber and then throws the ball, the play's legal. Baseball rules state that a throw must be made to first during a pickoff move, or it's a bulk, if using the quick move. That would mean Griffey would get to advance to second and not be out due to shenanigans. Because the cameramen never show Bowers' feet, we can't tell what happened, and the play is still called into question to this day. Just ask Mariner fans. In the top of the 12th, the Twins would put in pitcher John Blackout Gatling. 
With a runner on second base, Mariners first baseman Dave Magadan sends a screamer down the third base line. It goes through the legs of Twins third baseman Larry Hilbert and scores the runner from second. Magadan would get thrown out trying to extend the play, but the damage was already done. Heading into the bottom of the 12th, the Twins were trailing now 4-3. to three. The first hitter up for Minnesota was Mickey Scales, and he couldn't duplicate the home run from earlier. He swung at the first pitch and grounded out to the second baseman. Next, Pat Corning hit a line drive that was snagged by Magadan at first, in a really clutch play by the first baseman. With two outs now, Hilbert had a chance to redeem himself from the earlier play, and he hit a base hit to right field, which put the tying run on first with twin star Lou Collins heading up to bat. It's at this moment that the Mariners decide to bring in their devastating 6-foot, 10-inch left-handed pitcher Randy Johnson to pitch to the lefty Collins. The Twins' first baseman hits a long fly ball to deep center field. It's going to be a home run, but Ken Griffey Jr. makes an all-world leaping catch at the wall, robbing him of the home run that would win the game. It ends the Twins' season. The Mariners celebrate on the Metrodome field. Immediately after the game, Haywood would resign as Twins' manager. At the same time, he announced more personnel moves, with McNally, the pitching coach, now becoming the new manager. And Jerry Johnson, the legend he had cut a few months prior, a man hitting less than 200 during the season when he was let go. A man with no prior managerial experience is now the team's new big league hitting instructor. Why Haywood didn't feel the need to name McNally as the interim coach after firing O'Farrell was never addressed. Why he never considered established coaches in the Twins minor league system is also never mentioned. It's another truly bizarre decision by the Haywood family. After the season, it was reported that before his last plate appearance against the Mariners, Collins was seen talking with Haywood for an extended amount of time in the dugout. He didn't even go into the on-deck circle to take practice swings. Sources familiar with the situation would say that Collins was informing his manager that he had just asked Haywood's mother to marry him, and that her reply was, ask Billy. While this can't be confirmed by any credible sources and the parties involved won't talk about it, apparently the child manager said that if Collins hit a game-winning home run, he would give his blessing. You can even see in the replays that Collins makes a kind of jerking head motion back towards the dugout. You can't see his face because it's not HD, but you get the idea. It is understood at this point that Haywood had decided suddenly now to give his blessing regardless of the outcome, but whether or not these mind games would affect Collins at the plate is debatable. The season had ended, but the Twins fans stuck around. Despite losing the game, the crowd was chanting for Haywood to come out and receive a curtain call. It's apparent that they had not heard the news of his resignation. The young manager, along with the rest of the team, would return to the field, receiving a standing ovation from the Minnesota faithful. Have a season you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Let me know at listentogoodhustle.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey or on Instagram at Heldo Mackey. And that's spelled M-A-C-K-E-Y. Good Hustle is created and hosted by Andrew Mackey. This week's credits go to Castle Rock Entertainment. We'll see you on Monday. I hope you had fun with this one.